Today's reading is taken from One Peter chapter one, from verse thirteen to chapter two, verse ten, which can be found on、um, Church Bible page one two one seven. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed and His coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as He who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, "Be holy, because I am holy." Since you call on the Father who judges each person's work impartially, leave out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear, for you know. That it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were deemed redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gloried glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all. Their glory is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk. So that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good, and you come to Him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to Him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be of a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in Him would never be put to shame. Now, to you who believe, this stone is precious, and to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they, they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of God. Thank you very much, Hilary. Would you have that in front of you? It's on page twelve seventeen of your church Bibles. 
Well, uh, we're doing a, a series on growing in discipleship from 1 Peter, and to, tonight where our title is Growing in Holiness. Now, immediately I use the word holiness. I know that for some of you a barrier goes up because uh, what does it bring? A holy person, what are they? Someone with a long flowing robe wearing a hair shirt and sandals. Someone incredibly boring who goes around looking miserable and who is really, really dull. Well, nothing could be further from the truth because real holiness, the Bible the Bible talks about, is the complete opposite. Real holiness is immensely attractive. Real holiness brings joy. It's vibrant and energetic. Real holiness means never standing still but growing until we reach our full potential. So another title could be for this, this evening, Reaching Your Full Potential, because that means living as God intended us to live, ready even for heaven. And the passage we're looking at from 1 Peter shows how we can do just that. It was written, of course, by Peter, the one who denied Christ not once but three times, but here he's a totally transformed man. He's been talking about heaven and the joy that comes when you realize that as a Christian, heaven is where you're heading. And so now he comes to verse 13. Therefore, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. What's he saying? The first thing is this. Set your life's direction. Set your life's direction. Look to eternity. In other words, prepare your minds for action. Roll your sleeves up. Take off your jacket. Think hard about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And be steady about what you do believe, not swept away by the latest cultural fashion. Look forward to the future the glory that will be revealed when Jesus returns as he has promised to do. Be prepared to be non-conformists, living in obedience to God's will rather than your own self-centered desires. And so, verse 15, just as he who has called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy, for I am holy. In other words, dare to be different dare to be different. And the Greek word hagios or holy means different or set apart. Things can be set apart for God. The temple was holy. It was different from other buildings. The day of rest, the Sabbath, was different from other days. The Christian is different because he or she has chosen to live for God now and in the future. That's more of a challenge today, living in our secular society, because culturally and personally, we like to fit in. We don't like to stand out as being different. It takes courage to stand out from the crowd. And it's not only a call to live differently, but be different. Because every Christian, just think of this, is a shop window into the nature of God, what God is really like. So others see something of God in his followers, his disciples, in us. We're God's advertisements. So at university, I met a fellow first-year law student who had a personal Christian faith, and I knew he was different. 
So I asked him a very basic but significant question for me, which is this. What is a Christian? And one thing led on to another. And being different is not weird. It does mean, though, you have different priorities, different values. And you're living not just for this life, but for the life to come after our physical death. So you can answer the question, is this it? Is this all there is? With a resounding no. The best is yet to come. It means you march to a different drummer. You hear the music of heaven and eternity. So firstly, to reach your full potential, as God intended, set your life's direction by looking to eternity. Secondly, how are we to live day to day if we're to do that? And Peter sets out four essentials. Here's the first one. Live in reverent fear of your heavenly Father. Look at verse 17. Since you call on a Father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. Now, we live in a world which thinks of God as of no importance. You may just call upon him in an emergency when everything else has failed. You know, pull this button if things are really bad. Yet that is to make a very serious misjudgment. For God is sovereign. He's supreme over all authorities. He's all-powerful, the one who created the universe. He created you and me. He is holy. He cannot look on evil. You can't mix oil and water. You can't mix the holiness of God and the evil that's inside us and is inside our world. And God is all-loving. You cannot patronize or mess with God. If you choose to live this life without him, he will respect that decision eternally. You will be God-forsaken now and forever. And the judgment mentioned here is not the final judgment. For the moment we become real disciples of Jesus, we cross from death to life. We receive a new life. We are rescued from an eternity without him. At that moment, we become members of his family and he becomes our heavenly father. So the judging here is different. It's the kind of parental discipline found in Hebrews 12.10. You remember the writer says, Our human fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good. Listen to this. In order that we may share in his holiness. God is in the change business, changing us to be more like him. And he does it in a way no human parent can. So, first essential, live in reverent fear of him. Here's the second essential for spiritual growth. It's this, never forget the cost of your new life. Never forget the cost of your new life. Look at verse 18. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Now, the picture here is of someone in slavery who needs to be bought back or redeemed. What are we redeemed from? Well, this one hits you between the eyes, an empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. Now, surely that gives us all food for thought. 
That's a very, very powerful description, isn't it? The Apostle Paul, one of the most brilliant intellects of his day, spoke about his way of life before he became a follower of Jesus. Now, he enjoyed all the advantages and privileges of education, of status, family background, and social respect. Yet, when he did a profit and loss calculation, he produced a very different balance sheet. Listen to this from Philippians 3. Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I consider them rubbish. He uses a stronger word. It's like a brilliant graduate with a glittering career in the city, enjoying all the rewards of wealth, large houses, great holidays, a trophy spouse, suddenly discovering it's all worthless. He's got to the top, and he's discovered there's nothing there. Why? Because he or she was made for so much more than just that, and now they feel that they're on a treadmill and they can't get off. They're trapped, in fact, enslaved. That's where the cross comes in. God loved the world so much that he planned our escape to freedom, our redemption. Verse 20, before the creation of the world. It was accomplished by the precious blood of Christ. Jesus was sent by the Father to die on the cross in our place. He paid the redemption price, namely death. He was raised from the dead in order to rescue humanity from our self-imposed imprisonment. So how can we ignore the extent to which the Father has gone for us? In a moment, we'll take communion. That's to wake us up. That's to remind us how much God loves us and how committed he is to us. Week by week, month by month, year by year, we take those symbols of the cost that Jesus paid for us. It's priceless. The priceless cost of our redemption should motivate us to live a life that pleases God, a holy life. The third essential to keep on growing is to read the Bible daily. Look at chapter 1, verse 23. You've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Now, the aim of reading the Bible regularly, daily, is not just to increase our knowledge, knowledge for its own sake, but in order that we might live in a different way. Therefore, writes Paul, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, have a look at that, rid yourselves of all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander, like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, that you may have tasted that the Lord is good. Now, this morning, uh, I had the joy of baptizing two of my grandchildren. Quite a feat, I must say. Uh, the younger one is under one. She's called Hetty. Very sweet. But take away her bottle of milk when she's got her little hands around it. You are in trouble. She craves it. She longs for it. That's the picture where to have. 
The word of God, whether written in our Bibles, taught in sermons, small groups, is the way by which the Holy Spirit brings us to new life. It's enduring. It's imperishable. It has no expiry or best before date. That's why we're still teaching from it. It is still relevant. And the writer to the Hebrews describes it in this vivid way, Hebrews 4. For the word of God is alive, it's active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. That means there will be times when we read the Bible and it hits us right here. God speaks to us. And he says, this must change. This is not good enough. If you are my holy people. So, milk here is not to be thought of as something just for the spiritually immature. It is used like that elsewhere in scripture. But as milk is essential for a baby's physical growth, so is God's word for a Christian's spiritual growth. Eugene Peterson wrote this, Christians need to read scripture in such a way that it enters our souls as food enters our stomachs, spreads through our blood and becomes holiness and love and wisdom. Now, those of you who are at the church annual meeting remember that I spoke about the words of Paul in his farewell address to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20. He told them that he'd not hesitated to proclaim the whole will of God. That's why at St. Michael's, I've always insisted that we preach from both the Old Testament and the New Testament, because it is the whole will of God, the comfortable bits and the uncomfortable bits, so that we know all of God's will for us, for daily life. And Paul continued in that address by predicting, you'll remember, that after he was gone, there would be attacks on the church, both from outside the church and from within the church. That is still true today. The attacks are based, then as now, on distorting the truth, often to fit in with contemporary culture. Looking at verse 23, you'll see those words, born again. Now, sadly, those have been distorted so that a born-again Christian is thought of often in our part of the world as a tele-evangelist who wants your money. In fact, of course, originally, they came from the lips of Jesus. And they're a brilliant description of what happens when a person commits their life to Christ for the first time. They're not turning over a new leaf. They have a whole new life. They're a new creation. And in fact, there's no such thing as a Christian who is not born again. Now, there are churches, very sadly, where either the Bible is not recognized as our final authority in all matters of faith and conduct, or where it's not taught fully or properly. So people cannot recognize false teaching. So I often say, when you move from London, out of London, and you're looking for a church, ask yourself this very important question. Do they teach faithfully from the Bible? If not, run a mile because it's essential for our spiritual life. Because if you do know, comprehensively as possible, the whole of Scripture, you can identify error when you hear it, something that is seriously wrong. 
That's why I ask you to open your Bibles to see whether I'm teaching what is right. Now, I mentioned one such error in a recent sermon. For example, there are many theologians who say that it doesn't matter if Jesus rose bodily from the dead. It's enough that the disciples believe that he did. Now, I encourage you to reply with one word. Do you remember what the word was? Rubbish. It does matter. It matters very much that Jesus bodily rose from the dead. For as Paul wrote, if Jesus didn't, our faith is futile and we're still in our sins. Nothing happened when he died on the cross if he didn't rise from the dead bodily. That's how important it is. Now, in the Old Testament, we read how Moses spoke to the people shortly before he died. And he told them never to forget God's laws and to encourage their children to to obey them. Listen to what he said. They are not just idle words for you. They are your life. They are not just idle words for you. They are your life. The Bible is still our life today. Now, in your prayers for my successor, pray for a Bible teacher, someone who will do exactly as we're doing, and I've done for 24 years, opening the scriptures so that you can see it's the words of life, and these are not idle words. Now, my wife, has a, Tricia, has a lovely story about being at a student conference, and one of the speakers was a retired medical missionary. Probably she was well into her 70s. She said, it's so important to read your Bible regularly and hear from God. And the older you get, the more important it becomes. I'm cramming for finals. I'm cramming for finals. What an example. Here's the fourth essential for spiritual growth. It's this, full involvement in a good Bible teaching church. Look at chapter 2, verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, you see, the church is not a building. It's a gathering of people, living stones. Isn't that actually what we catch a glimpse of from the evening service weekend away? We catch a glimpse of it in the house party. Gatherings when we're together, actually in the garden party, the church being together, serving and having fun together, and other people being absolutely amazed. Surely not a church having fun. The priesthood of all believers is a new key New Testament truth. It's not just a role reserved for a favored few, Guy and me. But whatever our ecclesiastical structure, every Christian is called to be part of that holy priesthood, fully involved in the church. Solitary religion is ruled out. Professor Cranfield was a godly New Testament scholar at Durham University when I was there, and he wrote this. The freelance Christian who would be a Christian but is too superior to belong to the visible church on earth in one of its forms is simply a contradiction in terms. A contradiction in terms. If you're someone who's committed their life to Christ and have been born spiritually, then you will want to be part of the family of God. 
because we're family. So just imagine it. We had the baptism of my two grandchildren, and people said, oh, I don't think I'll come to your family event. I know I'm a member of the family, but I don't think I'll be there. It's a very strange attitude, wouldn't you think? And, of course, the church should be a place of love. Have a look at chapter 1, verse 22, where we love one another deeply from the heart. And it's where we rid ourselves of all that stands in the way of love. And you'll see that dreadful list in chapter 2, verse 1, of malice and hypocrisy and so on and so forth, where people are treated equally, whatever their status in the world's eyes, because we're all sinners in need of that amazing mercy, chapter 2, verse 10, which God has lavished on us in Christ. As a church, we should be a place of love where we laugh together and we cry together and where we help those in despair, maybe even need to correct one another when we stumble. At the centre is Jesus, the living stone, rejected by some, chapter 2, verse 4, who called us out of darkness of an empty way of life into his wonderful light, chapter 2, verse 9. So you see, the ultimate example of holiness is Jesus. The only one to have lived on this earth completely without sin, and his holiness is immensely attractive. Even our secular world can't dismiss it. And down the ages, men, women, and children have been drawn to him, drawn by that perfect goodness, eternally grateful for what he went through on the cross, physical pain, humiliation, degradation, and then for a dreadful moment, even cut off from the Father. And as he said, contrary to a current popular view, he didn't come into the world to condemn it, but to save it. He came into our world to give life, life at its very best, life that would never end. So I was praying for my grandchildren, my grandson and granddaughter, that they too one day know this life for themselves, that they will dare to be different. They will shun the empty way of life, often founded on materialism alone, in order to live a life that is life indeed. And I pray that for any of you who don't know it for yourselves tonight, that you may know the glorious, living, risen Christ who loves you and wants the very best for you and that you may live a life that pleases him because he cares about you more than you can know except you can know as we share communion together. Let us pray.